Good afternoon. Thank you for coming to our panel. Uh, we are here to tell you, to talk about all the different issues related to getting visas to the U.S. as a performer. Um, so let's start briefly by introduction. My name is Matthew Covey. I am an immigration attorney, and I also founded an organization, a nonprofit organization called Thomas Dot, which um, advocates for trying to keep the barriers the immigration barriers to the U.S. as limited as possible. So we do a lot of work with the government. When they work with us, we work with them. When they don't work with us, we sue them um, to try to make the process work better. Um, so Thomas Dot is a nonprofit. We provide a lot of pre free assistance to artists who are having problems with the process. We also do a lot of educational things, which is why we're here today. Um, so that's that. Thomas Dot a number of years ago birthed a law firm which has split off to handle a lot of the immigration work that a nonprofit can't really do and my colleague will will tell you about that my name is will spitz um i'm a partner at the firm covey law um, i lead our performing artist visas division and we do the work of filing the the um, required paperwork to get artists visas to come and play in the US together between the two organizations we handle visas for about well when there's a pandemic we handle visas for about three to four thousand artists coming into the US each year so we see a lot of really great artists and we see a lot of really horrific disasters um, with artists trying to get into the US and it's uh, so part of the reason today is to try to make sure that you guys have information um, so that we minimize the number of disasters can I just take a quick poll? How many people here are international artists? Okay, managers? Awesome, agents? Manager? <laughs> you're not sure if you're a manager? You're definitely an manager. Okay, that was like, eh. um, and what else, what am I missing? Label. Label, yeah. okay, awesome, label and back. Lawyer, label and lawyer. Is that what you said? Your label as well. Oh, label, lawyer. Got it. Okay, cool. cool. So you can really like you can dig in and give us really really hard questions if you want to. Has anyone gone through the process either as an artist or you know helping an artist go through the visa process? Was it okay? Awesome. So Canadian. Canadian. Cool. Cool. You did. <sighs> and has it not? Yeah. Yeah. I'm well, maybe we, maybe we can help. We're here to help. Um, we're going to split the session into two different topics. Um, I'm going to talk about when you don't need a visa, and Will's going to talk about when you do need a visa. And we will probably be commenting as we go. This is a small enough group of people that if we say something that doesn't make sense, ask. Like, don't we, we can do a Q&A at the end, but it's... With this topic, it's complex enough that if you wait to the end to ask your questions, it probably something's gotten lost in the translation. So please just like raise your hand or shout out if you have a question as we go along. Um, yeah, there we go. First question, do I even need a visa? Um, the answer, I'm going to give a kind of a legal-ish answer for this. And every time I say legal, I'm going to look to you now. Sorry about this because it's like, oh, there's the lawyer, right? So the legal answer to this is the, the analysis works like this. If you're going to the US to do anything that's related to your profession as a musician, you assume 
that you need to have an employment-based visa, which is usually a P or an O visa, unless there's an exception. And the job of figuring out how to, how to avoid getting a visa is trying to figure out exactly does one of the exceptions apply in your situation. Um, if you are, nope, not yet. Uh, yeah, actually, we could do that. You could take a picture of this. This is a. This is a. If you want to, that's my advice. This is a flowchart for the remaining slides. So it's kind of a way. If you're a visual person, look at that, and that can kind of lead you through the process of the, the stuff I'm going to be talking about. We're also happy to send this. You know, if come yeah. find us after if you want us to email. Yeah. A copy. So, um, the first question about do you need a visa is what is a visa. A visa is something that you use to get into a country that brings you in to do certain specific things. How many Canadians here? One Canadian? Okay, that's a totally different situation for Canadians. Canadians don't actually need a visa to come into the U.S. to work. A lot of people come from countries where you don't get a visa. You you can come in as a tourist on S. I'm just looking at his face. What do you mean? I have a P2 visa is what you're thinking, right? Right, but you don't need a visa to come in to go to like visit friends as a tourist. Did I say that? But P two, but that. your P two. This is confusing. But a, your P two is not a, a visa. It's a. It provides you with work authorization. But you don't need to go. Everybody else, aside from Canadians, needs to go through a second step um, of going through going to a U.S. embassy or consulate and getting a visa stamp, like a stamp in your passport, which Canadians don't have to do. Like he said, um, you you did. You went to an embassy and got a visa. The border. border, right? Stamp, but right. not like a physical thing. That's like a with page your picture that goes into on your it. With your picture and all that stuff. You know what? No. We're getting ahead of ourselves here. Let's back up. Um, <laughs> so, when you come into the U.S., either you have to, except for the Canadian, either you have to get a visa, or you're coming if you're coming from a country that where visas are required, or you come in on what people call ESTA. So, if you're coming from Europe or a bunch of countries that the US government doesn't find threatening at all, then you can probably come in without a visa to do very limited things. Like if you're visiting your cousin, you're going to Disneyland, whatever it might be, you will come in on ESTA. So the first thing I want to talk about, and I'm already rambling, I knew I was going to do this. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is what can you do as a professional musician without an employment-based visa? With Basically, what can you do on ESTA or what can you do if you're not from an ESTA country on a tourist visa, which is usually a B1 or B2 visa? So now you can scroll on. Thank you, Will. Um, there are a number of exceptions that are allowed for you to do professional things in the US, even if you don't have a work visa. So one of them, the most material one for this conversation here, is the idea of showcasing. What's a showcase? A showcase isn't about not getting paid. A showcase is about, the best definition I've ever come up with for this is, if the principal reason that the audience is there to watch you as a performer is not to be entertained, but to think about hiring you in the future, that's a showcase. If they're there to have a good time, you probably should have gotten a visa, okay? Now, South By is a kind of like teeters on the edge of this because it's a very much an industry event. People are here to see bands. People are here to think about hiring them and booking them and signing them, but there's also a lot of public as well. But fortunately, South by Southwest has a really good relationship with the government, and therefore artists who are coming to South by Southwest generally don't have a problem coming in saying, like, this is a showcase. I'm here not to gig. I'm not here to entertain. I'm here to secure future employment. 
And that's why if you're playing at South by Southwest and you came in on ESTA or you came in on a tourist visa, you probably didn't get hassled. It's because you're coming to seek employment rather than to actually be employed. So that's one showcase exception. Um, there's a problem with the showcase exception in that there's no real rule about it. So there's so if you're like, I'm playing the new Colossus Festival in New York on the way to South by Southwest, well, is the new Colossus Festival a showcase? I don't really know. But the problem is there's always two ways to think about these things. What does the law actually say? And what's going to happen when you enter the US? And the problem is, as an artist trying to figure out what constitutes a showcase event and what doesn't, there's no real guidance on that. So what you have to do is either ask us and we can help you figure out whether the event is, uh, is a showcase or not. Or if you want to figure out yourself, you have to be really cautious and play and be on the side of being very conservative with the way you think about it. So there's a handful of events. I think Folk Alliance absolutely is a, is a showcase event. The, the general public, kind of doesn't go, you have to be a member, you go and, and it's all in one hotel. The APAP conference in New York is clearly a showcase, but a lot of the other events, festival events that happen around the nation that in like developing artists perform at, a lot of those are really public facing and if the Homeland Security, if you're coming into the US with an amplifier and a guitar and a keyboard and electronics and you get to the airport and the officer says, what are you doing? It's like, well, I'm playing this showcase. They may well Google it and if they see that like the general public can buy tickets, they might not let you in. So you have to be really careful with this notion of the showcase. Um, and if you have a question, part of what we do is help people figure this out. And it's for free. I'm not trying to pitch something here. You can call, contact us, email us. We'll give you a contact at the end to help figure out, like, am I going to run into a problem or not? A um, couple other qu quick uh, exceptions, things that you can do in the US without having to get a tour, like having to get a work visa. If you're an artist and you're coming to record in the US and, wait, the recording is pursuant to a contract with a non-US entity, you don't need a work visa for that. So in other words, if you're a German artist and you're signed to a Danish record label and you're coming to record an album in Chicago, you don't need a visa for that. You probably want to have a good invitation letter to explain what's happening, but you don't need a work visa for that. What uh, if, Matthew, what if you're signed to a US label and the U.S. label says, come, you know, we've got this producer in L.A., we want you to come record. No, no public performances, just recording your new record in L.A. Unfortunately, if it's a U.S. label, you're out of luck because what they're thinking is they're thinking, are you coming to spend money or are you coming to make money? And if you're coming to record for, for on a, with a contract with a U.S. label, that amounts to coming to make money as far as they're concerned. Um, tricky question here, what if the label has a US office and a European office or an office somewhere else in the world? Well, I don't know. What I would do is I would say like, well, have your non-US office write you an invitation letter on their letterhead and have that in your hand when you come into the US because there's probably not gonna be an issue with that. I think we have a, a couple of questions, yeah. yeah. That's a good question. With a U.S. artist, you said, like your Chilean guitar player, as long as it's well. So the rule is sort of twofold. Um, if it's if you have a U.S. label, 
and the U.S. label, you're you're recording your new record and you know it's going to be put out on a U.S. label, then that's not okay without a work visa. But if there's no intention at the time to, re- I, I, yeah. this is a hard one if to explain. It, it, if the, the principal market is going to be the U.S., then the rule says you should have a visa, right. a work visa. But it's always tricky when you're sort of, if there's no label, there's no contractual um, obligation to release the the album in the U.S. and you're just, you know, like going to shop it around. It, yeah, it's a demo or something like that. Then you wouldn't need a visa for that if it's a demo. If there's no, if it's not pursuant to any contract, then you're fine. Yeah. But I would question in this situation if the band is a U.S. band with a foreign artist who's coming to perform as part of that band, there is a presumption of whether it's a written contract or not, there is a business agreement between you and that artist probably. So in a sense, they're coming to work for a U.S. band, so that might be a problem. But again, what we're doing here is we're trying to second guess what an officer at the border is going to say. There's no rule on any of this stuff. So if the officer says, what are you doing? Like, well, I'm coming to record with my band. Really? You're from Chile. Where's the rest of the band? Oh, they live here. Great. Are you... uh, are you uh, are you going to release the album? Are you making an album? No, it's just demos. Yeah, but who's paying for your trip? Or what are you going to eat while you? Where's the money coming from? Oh well, they're helping me. They're giving me a place to stay. Mm, that sounds like remuneration of some sort, and they send you them, or they don't. I don't know. There's no real rule to that. You had a question. No, they don't. If they're not, if they're just coming to over, to be present at a recording session now if you're saying the label person is like producing the album ah that's working and they would have to get an employment-based visa like a p or an o visa for that yes busking is generally okay if you have a work visa to cover performance right so but if you're the member of a band and you got a P2 as a member of that band, and then you're going to go do something, do your own like solo thing, busking. Legally, it's not right. I, I think Homeland Security has better things to do than wander around the streets and like bust bugger, busk, bust buskers. That's a hard thing to say. Bust buskers. Bust buskers. I don't <laughs> think it's likely, but you never know. Like, what happens if you're not busking in a place that it's legal and you get co- arrested by the cops for busking and they're like, where? then they start digging into your passport and, like, you know, it could go wrong. And a similar logic applies if you're here on vacation on a tourist visa and you're, you're, you're visiting your grandmother and you pull out your acoustic guitar and you're playing in the park. Technically, not okay because it's a public performance, right. but in reality, are you, you know, the likelihood. Yeah. Um, Quickly, two other exceptions. Uh, if any, this isn't probably relevant to this audience, but uh, there are very weird regulations regarding people coming to the U.S. on ESTA or on a tourist visa performing at universities. It's a very narrow exception, but if you are, if that's a big, if if you're coming to do a gig at a college or a university, before you spend all the money to get a visa, check with us because we can help you figure out if. The rule, if there might be a loophole, there's also a loophole if you're performing at an event which is sponsored by your home country. It's also kind of narrow, but like every year France has this huge French festival in Central Park in New York and it's free to the public and they pay for everything. And none of those artists get visas because they don't need to because it's free to the public and it's paid for by the government. So that's a weird loophole. The other thing I want to mention on this front is 
the U.S. government makes a distinction between managers, for the managers here, and road managers. A manager, by their definition, is someone who, if they're on a, if they're present in the U.S. with their artist, they're not essential to the performance. You're there to network. You're there to maybe do meetings but you're not there to settle up at the end of the night. You're not there to make sure the hotels are, uh, like the hotel accommodations are like in place. They're not there to help you figure out what to do when your amplifier gets stolen. That's what a road manager does. This is an important distinction because a manager doesn't need an employment visa to come to the US, but a road manager does. So how does this play out in reality? So say you're a Canadian Let's say you're a band, you're coming from Canada into the US, and the band is made up of four guys, scruffy, wearing leather, unwashed, and you're all in a van, right? And the manager is a young guy, scruffy, unwashed, wearing leather. The officers at the border might well say, this is the drummer who forgot to get a visa and I'm not gonna let him in. If the manager is pushing 60, overweight, and bald, chances are really good you're going to be fine because when they think manager, that's what they think of. So they're going to like, you got scruffy guys and the older guy. That's the manager, fine. So just be careful when you come into the border. If you are, in fact, the manager and you're planning to come in, we've had situations where a manager looks like a musician and they get turned around at the border because they don't believe that it's actually the manager or they think it's the road manager. So be careful if you're a manager coming in with the artist and you don't have a visa. I've, Matthew, what about a situation where a band is doing like a promote, like sh promotional gigs? Their record's coming out. There's show They're doing three shows in New York, not getting paid. In fact, they're losing money. Right. How can that... that can't possibly be considered work. It that, is. Okay. Thank you. Will actually knew the answer to that question. He was feeding it to me. Um, <laughs> it's really important to understand that not getting paid isn't a reason to not have to have a visa. And if you think about it, I mean, it's, which is ridiculous. Like, how, how could I be working if I'm not getting paid, right? Except you have to think about it. all these rules are here to protect American labor interests. So if you're a foreign musician and coming to the U.S., to perform and not getting paid for it. From a labor point of view, it's worse than getting paid because not only are you taking a job away from an American musician, but you're also devaluing the labor, the value of the labor in general. So if so, do not roll up to JFK and say, hey, I'm playing three gigs, but they're all house parties and I'm not getting paid, so it's fine, right? Because it's not gonna be fine. You're definitely gonna get put on the plane and sent home. That sounds crazy. It sounds crazy, and it's really irritating. And sometimes an officer will be like, oh, it's okay, you're not getting paid, and they'll let you in, which doesn't make any sense, and they're not doing their job, but you're lucky, but don't expect that's going to happen. And that's what's up here. Can't I just come as a tourist? Really? Loads of people do it. My cousin did it. The amount of time we hear people say that. And here's my feeling on this. If you are an artist, and you're not particularly serious about your career in the US, and you don't want to pay all the money and do all the hassle of getting a visa, and you want to just come and do a tour, and it's going to be fun, and if you get turned around at the border, it's not the end of the world, that's your decision to make if you're a musician. If you're a manager, if you're an agent, if you're a label, don't tell your artist it's going to be fine, because it might not be fine. And when you get the call, yeah, I'm in holding cell in Detroit, and I'm being deported, 
because you told me that it's going to be fine and it's not, you don't want to get that phone call. And so as if, as a, if you're responsible for someone, for an artist, take that really seriously and please don't put your artist at risk. The number of times we calls like that, it's really bad for your artist relations. So don't do that. And something to keep in mind, I think with that is the, even worse than coming and doing shows without a work visa that you should have a work visa for is lying about it. So if you are going to try it and the officer asks you what you're coming to do, don't say, oh, I'm visiting my cousin. Because if they Google you um, and see that you've got shows and they look really unfavorably on lying and that's sort of the worst thing you can do with immigration. And that's when like getting deported and banned for five years comes into play. If you just say, oh, I, I'm coming Not to do shows and I, I, I didn't fine. think I needed a visa, like sort of played dumb. I, I didn't think I needed a visa. That's better. They'll just, they'll still turn you away, but at least you won't get deported and banned. Yeah. Your question? Great question. That's fine. Yep. Totally fine. But what about Tiny Desk Concert? Not fine. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Interviews, that sort of thing is totally fine. Yep. All that stuff's okay. Technically not fine. People do it a lot. Because um, oftentimes they'll be on doing a press tour, doing a promotional, like doing press and doing promotion, and we're going to do an interview, and I'm going to pick up my guitar and play a song. Again, are, is anybody going to find that? Is is it going to be, are you going to get caught? Probably not. But again, if you're asking, is it legal? It's not. Because and you're creating something of value for a U.S. entity. Like the the radio station now is like has more listeners because that's the kind of programming they do. If you gave them something of value, then you should have had a visa for it. Yeah, go ahead. No. The question was, if you entered by land, do you have to exit by land? No, not at all. Yeah, you can do it. That's all fine. Welcome. And just quickly on the, the radio performance thing, the the way that would be, like, you could totally do that and it would be fine, you know, might be fine. Um, but the the way it could come into play is, is later when you apply, you know, two years down the road and you're applying for an O-1 visa and the officer Googles you and sees that you did KEXP in 2023 and, you know, they question whether whether that was okay with without work authorization. So that's, yeah. Nope, it's not. It should be. In a more just world, it would be, but it's not, unfortunately. Um, so these are the, there's a couple of other exceptions, but these are the situations where if you're an artist and you're coming to the U.S. and you're coming on ESTA or you're coming on a tourist visa, you're fine. But what I would say is this before we move on to the other topics. If you do that, don't assume that just because the rule says it's okay that the officer is going to understand it when you arrive at the airport. So it's really important to make sure you work with whoever's bringing you to the U.S. to get an invitation letter we're all, we do tons. We do invitations letters for South by Southwest. We do invitation letters for many of the festivals and labels and agencies around the country. So, so the argument is made in the letter to explain to the officer why it's okay that you don't have a visa. So it's really important. Don't just assume you can roll in. 
um, without having a, a well-crafted invitation. Um, so that's those are the situations when you don't need a visa. But like, so what happens if you've gone through all the exceptions and none of them really fit with your situation? You remember at the beginning I said you start from the assumption that you need an employment-based visa in order to do these things in the U.S. We've exhausted our exceptions. You're stuck. You're basically, okay, well, you're going to have to do the, the process of getting a visa. And that's where I'm going to hand it over to Will to talk about the process of actually getting an employment visa. Sure, yeah. So there are, there are essentially four kinds of classifications of visas available to performing artists. There's... Um, and then corresponding classifications for um, their the artist's essential support. Um, I'll go through these somewhat quickly, but um, O1 is the classification for individual artists of renown. Um, it's usually solo artists. And then O2 classification is available to uh, the backing performers and or crew of an O1 artist. Um, then there are P visas. P1 is for groups. Inter the, the term um, is internationally recognized uh, groups. Um, and then the corresponding support classification is P1S. So for tour manager, sound engineers, um, the P1S is available to them. P2, which our friend in the front row is currently on, is available in practice, only available to Canadian um, musicians through the, the Canadian Musicians Union. So it's a really limited classification. Um, theoretically, it could be uh, more broadly available, but um, there needs to be an established, um, what they call reciprocal exchange program in place. And in practice, the only one that's currently in place is um, the relationship between the Musicians Union in Canada and the Musicians Union in the US. Um, and then the corresponding support classification is P2S. Um, and then the last one is P3, which is for culturally unique um, artists. And that can be a solo artist or an ensemble. Culturally unique, sort of, the way to think about it is um, it's available to artists who do some sort of unique art form. And when I say unique, not like one of a kind, unique to a certain country or other group of people. So traditional Irish, Irish folk music would be an example. Um, and then P3S is the corresponding support. The tricky thing about the P3 is it really has to relate to your country, though. So if you're a Chilean who plays Irish folk music, you're not going to get a P3 visa for that. Unless there's something uniquely Chilean right. about your interpretation of folk music. Right, and there's some give and take with this. Like, we've dealt with, like, a cumbia band that also had a DJ. Like, you can kind of work the edges of a little bit, but basically it's about... The, the whole idea is the U.S. government, when they made these rules, realized that there's kinds of artists in the world that we do not have. If you want to present... If a U.S. presenter wants to present a Tuvan throat singer, chances are pretty good they're going to need to get somebody from Tuva. And it doesn't really matter whether they're really good or really famous. They just do a thing that we don't have here. And so the standard for, so the culturally unique, like almost all artists think that what they do is culturally unique, but what they're talking about is specifically the art from your, the kind of 
traditional or indigenous art from your country. I wanted to make one comment here that I forgot. There was an exception that I forgot, which is a very specific Canadian exception. And that's an exception related to First Nation Canadians. If you are working with a First Nation Canadian, they, although the, the rule on this is really weird and gray area and doesn't really make any sense, in practice it appears that First Nation Canadians do not need to have a work authorization to work in the U.S. They can come across and perform. Right, yeah. So just mentioning that there's a panel earlier where someone was in that situation. So, um, yeah, just wanted to mention that if anybody has that situation, it's, it's, a, it's a nice thing that exists. It's a nice thing. Like, law usually is irritating and treats people poorly, and this is one situation where it seems to actually treat people well. So then the question becomes, how do I get a work visa? Um, it's generally, for everyone except Canadians, it's a two-step process. The, the first step is filing a petition with U.S. immigration here in the U.S. Um, and I think in later slides we sort of talk more about what a petition is. Um, that's usually the more long, complicated, expensive, time-consuming time part of the process, usually. Um, the second step is once you've got your petition approved by immigration here in the U.S., that's USCIS is the immigration service, um, you take that approval to your local U.S. embassy or consulate, you do an online um, visa application called DS-160, and usually an in-person visa interview at your um, local U.S. consulate. Um, and then assuming that this sort of goes through, this is another uh, sort of schematic laying out the possibilities, but assuming all goes well and you're approved, you take your visa to a U.S. port of entry, and usually you're allowed in. Oh, I see, yes. Visa. Um, so the first step is, so step one, one A, we have it um, labeled, filing the petition. Um, you need to have a U.S person or entity file the petition for you, and that person or entity is called a petitioner. So who can be, um, or who should be, um, your petitioner is, uh, is a good question. Um, it's usually your US booking agent, or your US label, or the US presenter or promoter that's bringing you here. It theoretically can be any US person or entity, um, and there's, a, there's visa agencies that um, that can function as petitioner. Um, Thomas Dot, our nonprofit, acts as petitioner for most of our clients. Um, are there any considerations you want to talk about, Matthew? Yeah, I, I would just say if you're an artist and you're going through the process of investing in, because this, this is an expensive process of getting like an O1 or a P1 visa. It's an expensive and complex process. And I would say that be careful about who your petitioner is because the petitioner, you're linked, your visa links you to that petitioner. And depending on how the petition is filed, you may or may not, it may or may not kind of tie you to your to your work relationship in a way that you might not want to. So for example, if you're a, if you're a new artist and you there's an agent that has approached you and says, hey, I really want to work with you, I'll help you get a visa. And you've never worked with them before, and you don't know anything about them, but you're like, well, cool, I'll get a visa. If they there's a way that they could be filing the petition that ensures that you can only work with them. 
So if you do the first tour and it's terrible and they're a horrible agent and you want to jump from the agency and you like some, but while you're on tour, you met a really great agent who could really do amazing things for you. It's possible that you're going to have to cancel that visa and do the whole process over again to avoid having to work with that agent. So, but it's also possible to file a petition in a different way where you're not indentured to anybody where you can act as a free agent. So just be careful when you're in the beginning of this process to not get yourself into a relationship because of your visa that you're going to regret later. That's just a consideration. Be just something to be careful about. Um, and the, the purpose of the petition or what you need to demonstrate in the petition is sort of twofold. You need to show that you're eligible for the visa classification you're seeking. So if it's O1 or P1, basically you have to show that you're well known enough to qualify. Um, and you demonstrate that with things like press, evidence of impressive performances, um, any award nominations, things like that. Um, and the second piece of the petition is showing that you have contracted work in the U.S. And there are several ways to, to demonstrate that. Um, something to note here is that O visas can be valid for up to three years. P visas can be valid for up to one year. And usually the cost is the same regardless of whether you're getting a visa to, to cover one tour or to cover three years. So um, it's usually in, in the artist's best interest to try to maximize that that duration. Um, but it's it's it can be difficult to do so. You need to somehow show that you are going to have work in the U.S. for th the entire period, whether it's one year or three years. Um, so hopefully whoever you're working with on this process can help guide you um, on the documentation that you need. But, you know, it, it can either be multiple performance contracts, which is sort of crazy when you're talking about three years. No one's really booking shows three years in advance so the question becomes how do i you know am i just submitting fake contracts um, don't do that yeah um letters of intent can work they don't have to be formal performance contracts and you know if if the details change later on that's totally fine or um you can base a long-term visa on your relationship with some entity like your booking agent or your record label and it doesn't need to necessarily be a u.s agent or label um, you do need a u.s petitioner but a u.s petitioner can file on behalf of a foreign label or agent two things i just want to add there one um a lot of people their basic question is like and would i be eligible for a visa could i get one Am I famous enough? And I think that the answer to that, I mean, you might disagree over there, person with the yellow hat. Um, you might disagree with this, but generally that's you. Um, generally, we find that if an artist is at a point where somebody in the U.S. wants them in the U.S., then they're probably going to be eligible for a visa. If your career is big enough, if you're advanced enough that you can get gigs you probably can get a visa. Whereas if you're coming cause you're like, oh, I'm, I'm st I just like, I'm starting to write some songs and I feel like if I was in California, I would be able to write better songs. So I'm just like, I want to start my career in California. You're probably not going to be able to get a visa cause you're not actually far enough along in your career. I'm saying that, but there are certainly exceptions and those exceptions relate to where, if you're coming from countries that are challenging but that's kind of a different piece of the visa which is like whether you could get approved for the petition sure but you might get denied the visa because of other issues but we'll get to that do you want to take a minute before we get to that to talk about oh yeah 
one year, up up to one year. Well, I mean, every firm and and agency that does this work has different fees. I mean, the government fees and the union fees are the same, whether it's a week long, you're seeking a week long visa or a three year visa. Um, our if you work with us, we charge flat fees that are the same regardless, um, because the process is essentially the same no matter what. Um, so yeah, go ahead. Yeah. The problem is the way the thing is structured, it's really about performing entities. So that, that's a question that comes up like, hey, we work on, you know, like uh, we'll get a, 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 like a, a cultural center that says like, hey, we do Indian performers coming from India. We have a bunch of them. They have lots of different combinations, how they work together. We want to do one petition to cover everybody. You can't do that. There's a Q visa, which used to exist and still does technically exist, but it doesn't work very well and they tend to get denied so we don't we don't do the q visas but that would be the that would sort of do that but not really so i'm not advising it just cuz i don't think it works very well um but generally what that means is you had to look at the different performing entities there's this duo there's this band there's this solo artist and unfortunately it's very hard to avoid just filing separate petitions for all of them although it's expensive to do it that way yeah It's a great question. If, question was, oh, go ahead. The question was, if you apply as a group and you get a P visa, like a P1 visa or a P2 visa or a P3 visa to bring the group in, and then one person in the group wants to do a solo show based on that, if it's under the same name, if it's a P1, the answer is no, you can't. Um, you have to have at least two of the members legally. You have to have two of the members because it's still a group then. Um, the P3, there is no real rule on that. I would say arguably you could do the solo. The P2, actually I'm not really sure about a P2 on that one. I don't, I would think that you would have to be, you would have to have two people from the ensemble to do a P2 as well. So if you're in a situation where you're, you're going for a P2 as a group, but you think that the singer is you know the front man is going to want to do some solo gigs he should get his own p2 under his his name yeah well the 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 in this example the front man would only need the one um as himself he could still that should allow him the flexibility to perform you know solo or with the group and then the rest of the group should get should file one petition as as a group That's a really unique situation, and can we talk about that afterwards? Just because I think that's there's a couple of different ways to do that, but um, we should talk about that. What was I going to you you'd ask me about something else? Well, oh, just before we move on to talking about the applying for the visa at the consulate, do you want to talk a little bit about what can go wrong with the petition part of the process? The art, like getting an RFE yeah. or denied. Like, why would why would a petition get denied? 
if the petition isn't strong enough, basically if you haven't shown that you're famous enough or if you haven't shown that you actually have uh, real work in the U.S. to their, to the U.S. government's satisfaction, they're going to fire it back to you and say, we need more information about what you're doing. And that's the second chance you have to file what's called a, a response to their request for evidence. Um and I don't want to say too much about that because it's a it's a miserable process and it happens not that commonly. Um, it's but um, there's but it's 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 a stumbling block in the process. It's possible to not be approved and to also not be denied. And you actually just sort of it extends the process significantly and makes it long and slow. Yeah. Good question, but yeah, no. I mean, you could theoretically be playing for free, um, and that yeah, that would be fine. Right. Our friend David. That's a good question. Thank you, David, for a very good question. Um, the reason it's a good question is because there's a long tradition of agents fabricating tour itineraries and contracts. Um, and looking, trying to get long-term visas based on fraudulent itineraries that they submit. And it works a lot of the time, and has historically worked a lot of time, which is why a lot of people do it. The problem is that the U.S. government does spot checks, and they frequently, not super frequently, but re regularly call the venues that are listed on in the in the petitions and say like hey this says that this band is playing on this night is that true and if the venue says no you've got a big problem not only do you have a big problem as an artist but your agent probably has a problem whoever filed the petition has a problem everybody's got a problem um it's especially a problem because oftentimes when they call the venue they get like whoever's there during the daytime and they don't know what's going on anyway and they might say no even if it is true, and then you've also got a problem, but this is, but basically what it amounts to is that they do make an effort to verify the information that's in the petitions enough so that I wouldn't mess with it. Like, don't make up stuff. There's other ways to get long term visas without fraudulently characterizing your employment in the US. And something to note is that a lot of the, I'm not going to name names, but a lot of the bigger, major booking agencies have sort of, they've run into that situation where the a petition got denied and they got, you know, a fraud investigation from USCIS. And so a lot their immigration lawyers have are being very conservative and have cautioned them to only petition for single tours, only uh, visas only for as long as you've got confirmed shows. So um which is an overly conservative approach. You do want to be careful about just making stuff up out of thin air, but there are ways to there. It's still possible to get long-term visas, despite what some, the, the general counsel at some major agencies would tell you. I hope I'm not. <laughs> yes. Great question. That's an, that's an exception that we didn't talk about. Um, if it's a contest and the only, fee the only remuneration um for to the artist would be like prize money that would be okay without a work visa yeah and that's an interesting question because like i i don't know if any festival has done this but i've 
talked with festivals about like, well, how can we avoid, how can we make sure that the international artists we're bringing here don't have to get visas? And one of the things we said, well, you could set it up as a massive battle of the bands, <laughs> which is from an immigration standpoint, a great idea from a cultural standpoint or from a coolness standpoint is a terrible idea. Cause like, nobody's going to want to do that. Cause like, Oh my God, why would like, yeah, South by Southwest could be one massive battle of the bands for international artists, but obviously nobody wants to do that. So, but it's a really good question. Um, so we've got 15 minutes. I'll, I'll run through these next slides pretty quickly. Um, the second step after you get the petition approved, um, here in the U S and again, this, this second step only apply, or does not apply to Canadians, um, but everybody else in the world needs to go through the second step, which is applying for a visa um, at a U.S. embassy or consulate, usually in your home country. Um, and so that involves uh, completing an online visa application and then usually, like I said earlier, um, doing an interview, an in-person visa interview with a, with a consular officer, U.S. consular officer. And the main purposes of that interview are to make sure that you've applied for the correct visa, um, that you are who you say you are, um, to assess any potential security threats, um, and also uh, to make sure that you're not a risk of overstaying your visa. This plays out mostly I'm, when we see this part of the process go awry. It's usually for, uh, frankly, racist reasons. A lot of artists from the global south um, have problems during this part of the process because the government, U.S. government, starts from an assumption that you are seeking to illegally immigrate to the U.S. So if you're a white person from Europe, this part of the process is probably going to be really smooth for you. Um, because they, what they do is they're like, we presume you're going to illegally immigrate. What reason do I have to think that you won't? Oh, you're a DJ from Berlin. Right. Why would you want to come to stay in the U.S.? So the presumption in their mind is like, well, it's done. We don't have to worry about it. Whereas if an artist is coming from the global south, the presumption is that they're going to um, overstay the visa or do something else. And it's harder to overcome that presumption given their, their frame of reference. It's a really problem. It's a major problem. And it's something that really, really hugely affects artists coming from the global south, which you know something about. <laughs> yep. Um, what else? Step three is actually entering the U.S. You you know, show up with your visa. And usually um, that part of the process is pretty smooth. I don't know what we usually... The disasters do. that you hear about people getting turned away are almost always related to somebody who did something wrong or something went wrong in the process before they got here, but they ended up here anyway. And that's where they tend to get to. Like they applied for the wrong kind of visa or they didn't try to get a visa at all. Those are the, the horror stories you hear in the media. Um, those are usually avoidable if you do everything properly up there. One thing you didn't go into, Will, is the rolling shitstorm of the U.S. consulates and embassies around the world right now. Right. Back to step, yeah, this step. Yeah. Um, just, just, yeah, go ahead. So, so we had this president. If you don't live in the U.S., you might not have heard about him, but he wasn't great. I mean, I'm going to say that right here in Texas. He was a lot of, caused a lot of problems. One of the things he did was not prioritize the Foreign Service. So lots of people who used to work for the Foreign Service left because they didn't want to have anything to do with it. Uh, they tended to not hire replacements. 
And the replacements they, t- they hired, they tended to not train very much. Then this went on for four years. Also during that time, there was this pandemic, which you've all heard about, uh, where everybody, f- many, many people in the forest, Foreign Service came home and the embassies were left with almost nobody working there. The new administration came in. The pandemic started to wane. They started hiring and training very slowly or as quickly as they could, but they have the same hiring process as everybody has had since the pandemic, so they've been having a lot of trouble restaffing. Things were starting to get better. And then there was Afghanistan, and then there was Ukraine, and those are two things that totally changed their, like, affected the State Department's focus. The problems faced by bans was fairly low on their priority list through all of this. I know for us, it's obviously the most important thing in the world, but that didn't translate to the State Department. And that's just been left a really, really difficult personnel situation at most of the U.S. embassies and consulates around the world where there have just been enormous delays. Um, Delays, people going to schedule an interview, and it's like, the next interview available is in 2025. What do I do? Right, I've got a gig in three weeks. Well, what do you do about that problem? Well, <laughs> that's a great question. Um, usually you apply for, you, you request an expedited appointment. And in our experience, in most places, I mean, the, the thing to keep in mind is that every consular post in every country throughout the world is different, has different policies and procedures, has different levels of backlogs. Um, so what might be easy at the moment in London might be really tricky in Madrid, might be impossible in, you know, where? Yeah, exactly. Oh, totally, yeah. So, um, but generally speaking, we've had a lot of luck, even in, in consulates where there is seemingly a really long backlog, um, if an artist is able to demonstrate that they have a tour coming up next month and that the U.S. venues and the U.S. agent, the U.S. entities involved in, the, in this tour are going to lose money if the artist isn't able to get here on time, um, usually can get an expedited appointment. Um, but leaving amp- like as much time as you can for this part of the process is really important, more important than it used to be. It used to be pre-pandemic, pretty much everywhere in the world it was easy to get an appointment you know, within a week or two or three. And now, um, you know, you, you want to leave as much time for that, that part of the process. So generally time frame, just if you're trying to figure out like how early do I have to start thinking about this, the petition process, unless you want to pay the $2,500 premium processing expediting fee to the government, you should be planning on the process, the petition process. You'd want to start it at least four months. Did you say four? Did you say five? I would say at least four. At least four months before you need to tour. Um, Because it's going to take a while to put the petition together. And then once it's filed, it's going to take two to three months for it to be processed. So at least four months. Once the petition is approved, you want to leave, depending on where you're coming from, the country you're coming from, and what kind of backlogs you're seeing at the embassy, you want to leave at least a month, maybe two months, uh, to get the visa issued. So rule of thumb, if you're planning on coming to the States, you should be th- starting the process of getting the visa six months out. You should be figuring out who's going to do it, who's going to work on it, um, and making sure that the process is started. And to just quickly, in terms of costs, 
Um, there's a lot of fuss right now about the fees being increased. Don't know if that's going to happen or not. It's been a proposal. It was a terrible proposal. It's a really bad idea. There's lots of lawsuits that are being teed up to knock that down if it happens. I kind of, I'm not a very positive person, not a very optimistic person, but I'm kind of optimistic that this might not actually ever happen. Um, it, it doesn't look like, it looked like, I have it on reasonably good authority that the government checked in with the music industry to see if this was fine, by which they asked Live Nation, and Live Nation said a thousand bucks, not a problem. Um, they didn't ask anybody else. And that's becoming clear that there's, it is a big problem for a lot of people. So I think it might not happen. Don't hold me to it. Um, otherwise, the all-in cost of this process, there's lots of little fees and expenses, but generally getting a visa to the U.S. for one petition, which means a band or a solo artist, you should be thinking about the government fees, the union fees, and hiring somebody to help you with it. It's hard to imagine. You probably are going to have to pay at least 2000 and I've seen people pay as much as ten or 15000 to get this done. Um, if you're paying ten or fifteen thousand, even if you're paying much more than five, you're probably paying somebody too much. So do some shopping around. Talk to friends who've gotten visas before. Get recommendations from people like like talk to other artists from where you're from and see who do they work with, who did a good job, um, how much did you pay? Uh, because it's there's a lot of very expensive services out there. Sometimes they're really great and they're doing a really good job and you're paying what you pay for, you're getting what you pay for, sometimes not. So comparison shop if you're looking for an agency or an attorney to help you with this. Yeah. Sorry, I can't really hear you. When you say agency, do you mean a booking agency or, an, or like an immigration agency? Oh, Mike's in the aisle. Great. Um, the question was, are there situations where an artist... Where where an, where an immigration agent or attorney wouldn't want to work with an artist? Handle things directly. Well, you have to have a U.S. petitioner, so there's going to have to. But maybe an artist could find uh, find their uncle or somebody like that to be the petitioner. Honestly, like there are a lot of there are some labels that still do this work in house. There are a bunch of festivals that still have people in house who who file and prepare the petitions. Part of the reason that Thomas Dot was created was to help individuals who or arts organizations that don't hire attorneys to be able to continue to not hire attorneys, which is a great thing. Um, and some of them do a very good job. It has become since nine eleven, the process has become so onerous that less and less arts organizations, music industry organizations, do this themselves. It's very hard to do it the first time yourself without there being a problem or a delay. So. On paper, I really want to support people doing this themselves and not hiring attorneys. In reality, it it's getting harder for that to work that way. Thanks. That was a really good question, though. Thank you for that. You, uh, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I thought wait, you were just wait. waving goodbye. <laughs> Hello? Hello. Hey, I'm here. Uh, I was curious if um, 
you're a promoter or a talent buyer, you identified an artist in another country that you want to bring to the United States, um, and you want to be the anchor show, but while you're while they're there, you're open to them playing more performances, either with you or you brokering that to someone else. Can you kind of talk about um, that lens because it's almost like you're a promoter and an agent in one? It's um, it's 100% fine to do that. And a lot of, there's a lot of organizations, like for example, in the world music world, very frequently it works like that. Like the Chicago World Music Festival will be the lead. They'll do the, they'll be the petitioner but then there will be like a, a consortium of other world music festivals that go together on that and they'll get booked throughout. Um, when you file the petition, like if you're, if you're doing the petition, when you file the petition legally, you're going to need to get an authorization from each of the other um, uh, employers saying that they're authorizing you to represent them. But that's just like a little piece of paper that they sign. It's a very simple thing to do. So you can totally do that. And it's a really good way to to keep the costs down and to like foster kind of a, a collaboration. So that's very normal to do that. Yeah. And that way the artist can get a longer term visa based on, right. You know, and also your liability as the petitioner legally, there is a little bit of liability, but honestly we handle like 4,000 artists a year and have been doing this since the, since like for 20 years. And we've never actually seen a situation where a petitioner was like, was somehow like disadvantaged by having been the petitioner. So Sometimes somebody will be like, oh, I don't want to go near that. I don't, want to have, I don't want the responsibility. But in reality, it's it's very limited liability. We have two minutes left. Okay. Um, I'm going to very quickly just make a note about cannabis. Um, marijuana is legal in many states. Uh, it's still illegal under U.S. federal law. Um, and any any violation of any drug law anywhere in the world automatically renders you ineligible for a visa, inadmissible to the U.S. So just be careful. We've heard stories in recent years of customs officers getting chummy with an artist and saying, oh, yeah, I see you're going to Colorado. The, I've heard the, the weed there, the dispensaries is really great. You ever sample that? And, you know, the artist says, oh, yeah, yeah sure, it's great. Um, and they say, okay, get back on, on the plane and go home. You're you're ineligible for a visa, and then that follows you around. So just keep in mind that that is out there. What would be a recommended answer back to that? That's a great question because it's hard. We can never re recommend lying, but what? None yet. None yet. Yeah. Yeah. Just keep it. I mean, that's a hard question for us to answer, but just keep in mind that that that's out there. Yeah, it's it's very it's a very strange moment in sort of American legal history where there's something that's legal, completely legal in many states, and then completely illegal on a on a federal level. It just does it doesn't make any sense. And where and to have something that is that gray, it's in such a gray area, have such significant consequences is like there's lots of legal gray areas out there, but usually the consequences of the gray area is sort of like, eh, well, it's not that big a deal. But in this case, it's massive. It's like you will never come to the U.S. again if you get caught for this. And it was legal when you did it where you did it. How is that possible? So it doesn't make any sense, but just be very careful about it. Quickly, and answer her comment is to say it's none of your business. Never say that. Yeah, never. <laughs> yeah that's true. Well, that's actually one thing some lawyers say is like, well, I've smoked things, but I don't know what it was that I smoked. You know, I, they, you know, who knows? 
Might have been a cigarette. I don't know. Yeah. I didn't inhale. Exactly. That's worked for some people in government. Matt, do you want to take one minute to talk about resources that are available to yeah. people who need um, help? Several resources. Uh, there's, a, there's a website. It's a fantastic website called Artists from Abroad. The website's up there. Um, it is the kind of most authoritative user-friendly source of information about how this process works. It covers both immigration, but also U.S. taxes, which is something we've strategically avoided talking about. It's maybe the only authoritative resource. There's a lot of really, really bad information on the Internet about immigration issues. So, yeah, Artists from Abroad is a great we one to bookmark. We work with uh, the League of American Orchestras. It's funded by the National Endowment for the Arts. If you read the information that comes from the government, you will be lost. But this is really good information. Um, Thomas.Avail is our nonprofit pro bono legal assistance hotline if you run into a problem uh we might be able to help you we're 24 7 an attorney will be there to sort of answer questions especially if something goes wrong we can't file petitions for you but we can help you understand the process um the last one up there is on the move this doesn't really apply to american immigration but it's a brussels-based organization which is a consortium of organizations that do the kind of stuff that we do so if you're like hey i'm from thailand and i need to do a tour in portugal what kind of visas do i need if you contact on the move they can direct you to an organization that can help you figure out that and they're awesome so there's that out there other last questions do we have any more no, but they haven't shut us down yet. So, does anybody have any? Yeah. No. That would be so logical and make so much sense, but no. There's no like. Yeah. There are some situations where a really big artist is inf is famous enough that you that like the wheels of government you can get them to move quickly, but that's like you know that's like stadium artists. Um, for a for any sort of independent South by Southwest sized artist, you know, a month if you're willing to pay lots of expediting fees is generally a, a, about the amount of time. But it's going to be really expensive. We should stop. Okay. Okay, we but you know what minutes? we could do? Um, we'll be around, if they kick us out, we can be out in the hallway, so if you have specific questions about your situation, feel free to ask us. We should probably wrap it up. Okay. Thank you, guys. Thanks Thank a lot for coming. coming.